Here it comes. It's the Music City Real Estate Show with Andrew Buckwalter. Coming to you from his roving camper studio, The Rambler, in Nashville, Tennessee. Join us as we travel about town to discover the best real estate in areas you want to know about. With expert advice, finding the best deals, and meeting Music City's hit makers and emerging artists who call Nashville their home. And now, here's Andrew. Hello, Nashville and all you listeners out there. Thank you for joining me for episode two. Today, I'll be sitting down with an awesome fiddle player, Ross Holmes, and I'll also be interviewing Matt Baumgartner. He is a home inspector. He'll be able to give you some great advice to get your home ready to sell. So when a buyer walks through it, some of the little details will not scare them away. Sit back and enjoy the fiddle. So I'm sitting here with Ross Holmes in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. In my driveway. Um, yep, in his driveway. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, wait, here, let me use your cup. Your yeah, fancy. mine's kind of, I don't know, yours is pretty cool, though. Cheers. A- Drinking some uh, cream of coffee. Nice and smooth. It really is. It's really good coffee, man. It I is. Have, I have friends, musicians that 
travel all the time, and the only coffee they'll take on their tour buses is Crema. Yeah, and they got, actually, I looked the other day, they had like, I don't know, 10 different flavors. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, Ross is a local musician here in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays the fiddle and does a heck of a job at it as well. <laughs> <laughs> try, at least. Yeah. I'll try. And uh, actually, I had helped him uh, purchase his home. Um, the very home we're parked at right now. Yes. Very cool, unique home. We yeah. can, uh, we'll can. we dive into a, a few real estate questions, and we'll dive into that. Absolutely. So, tell me a little bit about you, about uh, what you're doing, kind of some of your music history. Um, yeah, man. So, I grew up in Texas, uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Sixth Avenue, to be precise, in Fort Worth, Texas, in the Ryan Place neighborhood. And I have two parents. I have a mom and a dad. And I have a younger sister. <laughs> Most people, it's in some way, have that combination. Um, and I started music when I was really little, about three, with wow. a very common music program, Kinder Music. You know, you learn how to play the glockenspiel and the xylophone and shakers and clickers and clackers and basic rhythms. And and, uh, and then I started piano, um, classical piano when I was five. Okay. And I really excelled at that. It was it was. Um, I don't know, maybe because of the linear design of the piano kind of spread out in front of you. It made a lot of sense to me. Uh, But my sister, Katie, who's three years younger than I am, I was eight and she was five and she decided that she wanted to play the fiddle. Our granddad was a big doctor in Fort Worth and his real love and passion was the fiddle. And she had seen him play and we always had, you know, country and Western swing records in the player. And so Katie really took a shine to, um, to the fiddle. So she started lessons when she was five. And after about a year of her pursuing the instrument and, and starting out with fiddle, yeah, I picked it up and started playing and it was, uh, truly, I, I've said it before, it's kind of become a bit of a catchphrase in my mind, but it was easier than walking. And genuinely, <laughs> wow. I, I was one of those late bloomers to the walking scene. But uh, as far as the fiddling scene, it was um, it was way easy for some reason. And maybe it was because I'd been playing piano beforehand, or maybe it was just because that was what I was supposed to do with my life. Right. It's just a right. question I can't really answer other than I recognize that's it was something a little special. That, did you... That uh, did you- Continue to play piano as well? No. Well, I did for about a year, and I, um, unfortunately, my piano teacher at the time, I was really, I was really going with it. I, I really kind of got quite far with my, um, with my piano playing, but, but the professor I was studying with at Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, he, uh, he could tell that I was really dedicating most of my time to the fiddle, and he said, look, you have to choose piano or, or, or the violin. Mm-hmm. And it was new, and the new hadn't worn off. So I was like, "Well, I'm going to do this." Right. Um, regrettably, I stopped playing the piano, and, and to this day, I can hardly play a note, which is uh, which is a shame. But um, such is, is the way. It, is it though as good as you are on the fiddle? Uh, it I is. Mean. It's the piano is the one instrument I really wish I could play because, from a theoretical and a compositional standpoint, everything is just there. It's all laid out in front of you. You can see how chords are built, and you can see how melody uh, is is laid out, and just the form of it all. It's it's 
I, I, I think it's the ultimate instrument, the piano, but the violin, um, the, the string instrument family, they're so close to the, to the nature of the human voice that no other instruments can be as expressive mm-hmm. because they're so similar from a, if you look at a violin, the waveform of a violin, um, and the sonic spectrum and color of it, the same as a, a human voice, they, they line up so closely, um, particularly a cello for a man's voice and a viola violin for a woman's voice. Um, but I don't know. It just—it was very—it was very natural thing for me, and so I studied studied fiddle and then classical violin through high school, and and uh, had scholarships to college for it, but decided to take a year off and see what happens, and um, it happened. So, did your parents play? They didn't play um, the violin. Our granddad did a bit. My dad played a bit of saxophone. And my mom sang. Um, but we, I wouldn't say that we were a musical family. My parents really loved music and encouraged it. But it was something that both my sister and I found as our as our calling. And she's a huge musician in Texas and, and has had a very, very, very successful career. And, and, and then uh, your wife plays the fiddle. Yeah, that's her. Yeah, her, her whole family. And that's how we met was through this um, uh, this music festival years ago and uh, in Texas. Uh, and it was it was great. We connected, and and uh, she wouldn't stop chasing me around the parking lot. And <laughs> wouldn't leave me alone. I bet, I bet that was totally opposite. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, so this might be a question I should or shouldn't ask or should know. About. Ask. Um, what's the difference between? What's the main difference between a fiddle? And a violin. That's a very good question. So the difference between a fiddle and a violin is nothing, technically. But I think um, the answer that people are looking for, uh, something that's... that's uh, <laughs> the, the bridge on the violin is that little piece that the strings cross over from the tailpiece, which is down at the bottom. They cross over the bridge and go down the fingerboard. And, of course, you play on the fingerboard. Fiddle players usually prefer to have a lower action like on a guitar the closer the mm-hmm. strings are to the fingerboard the more comfortable it is to play okay um and they like a bit of flatter radius on the bridge so the curvature of the bridge um fiddle players like it a bit flatter generally speaking because it uh, facilitates the ease of double stopping playing chords on the instrument and because fiddle players are always kind of sawing that just makes it a bit easier there's no difference in the construction of the instrument and for me personally um, because I try to play as many styles as possible as I'm interested in um, I prefer to have more of a classical setup I like a bit higher action um, and I like a bit more curve on the on the uh uh, radius on the bridge because I can lay into the strings a bit more and get a bit more tone, more volume, and and really when when you're um, when you're accustomed to that, it doesn't feel any different than having a low action. And my particular violin is is a very special um, instrument that wasn't made to be. <laughs> fiddled on per se it's it's history it's it's role is that of a concert violin and that's what it has been played as i assume i'm the first fiddle player to to um, be a caretaker you never own these instruments you only you're a caretaker i mean this particular fiddle is 185 years old this year and and that's kind of middle age for an instrument really yeah man the oldest fiddle i played is from the mid 
1550-1560 time frame, so f- almost 500 years old, and the design has changed very little. They're very right. rugged instruments for having lasted so long. They're very fragile, of course, because they're just spruce and maple and not very thick, but um, right. the design has withstood the test of time because it, it does what it needs to do. It sounds like it should sound. So you currently, I know you do session work. Mm-hmm. And you've been on tour with uh, Warren Haynes and Bruce Hornsby? Yeah, so my touring with Warren uh, ended last year in 2016, in the fall of 2016. That was sort of a singular one-off project. He had done an acoustic album with the great jam band Railroad Earth. Um, And for reasons they had decided not to tour it, so he needed um, needed a group of guys, so he got... Uh, with my my little ensemble of players and and we went out and toured for about a year and a half with Warren uh, but Bruce has been a constant um, since 2004 since I left Mumford and Sons I've been with with Hornsby and um, we put out an album last year uh, and are starting to work on new material hopefully for an album down the line at some point in time Bruce is always swirling around new compositions and projects and and I mean I'm thankful to uh, to be to have uh, created shaped my career as an artist in my own right but as an artist associated with all these other players not so much a sideman role which is which is an interesting take on it so many musicians in town they do the session world or they do the road mm-hmm. game um and they're all sidemen to a point. Amazing players. It's not diminishing their abilities and talents. It's just unless you're the artist on the front of the stage, everybody else is a sideman, a hired gun for you, essentially. Right. right. Um, and it's been nice to sort of create my own uh, brand and sort of shape my own trajectory as an artist in my own right, associated with all these other musicians so being a member of bruce's band the noisemakers though i'm a band member um bruce is obviously the the leader in the name of the band but i think he himself would consider he would just say that he's a a member of the band as well right because everyone is given time to shine on their own uh and he does a great job of that and and, um, i don't know it's a a special existence man it's a i i don't you get a little bit of a little bit of uh i guess you get a best of kind of both worlds, right? Yeah, I do, man. I, I absolutely love helping um, create and collaborate with uh, as many musicians as possible in as many genres as possible. That's how you stay fresh. It's how you stay relevant and current. Uh, and it's how you grow as a player. Mm-hmm. Far too often people get stuck in, in, a, in a regular gig and don't actively pursue music or outlets for uh, creativity outside of what they're getting paid to do or what they're doing uh, already and and, uh, you stagnate you get bored it's cool I just watched uh, the musical Mm. La La something you know, La La Land, yeah, yeah, yeah. and amazing. Uh, it was really cool. I oh, mean, yeah. it, you got to see two perspectives, you know, from the acting standpoint and the musical standpoint, and sure. how you know, like he was pulled a direction because it's like this is my only option. But then, yeah. obviously, which now have you seen it? I have on a plane. I've seen three now quarters. And of I um, don't understand the ending of it. What happened between their relationship? But we're like, why did it end like that? But um, you mean Batman and Superman didn't duke it out at the end of the movie? No, they did. That was a different know? film. Okay. Uh, that was <laughs> but, <laughs> the great but, Spider Man. But it was cool, though, you know, just to see that. And um, and so it kind of sounds like you. You've kind of did a little bit of both. I mean, even yeah. with Mumford and Sons, you obviously got to see some cool places oh, and play yeah, some man. cool music. 
But now you seem to have probably a little bit more independence, more you know, you you have control of what you do. Sure, and with Mumford and Sons, I I rolled into that band coming off of my own project, Cadillac Sky, that I had started okay. with with four other dudes um, in 2002, and when Cadillac Sky ended in 2010, and I went straight to to Mumford and Sons, um, my I took a backseat role in that band because the opportunity was too big to say no. <laughs> it wasn't a, a a gig where you go out and you just shred all night long. Right. Where you're just right. Just keeping your chops up. That wasn't the point of the gig, though. It was. It was a. It is to this day a, a massive rock and roll, pop rock, folk band, and they. Um, um, obviously, they've done amazing things for folk music, acoustic music, and, and music in general. Um, but for me, I was really missing utilizing my chops. Exactly. Everything that I'd worked so hard to develop as a player right. um, wasn't, it's not that it wasn't, they didn't like it. They, they were, are massive fans of my playing, which is such a compliment. But for that band, uh, soloing and deep, deep, um, colorful arrangements and creating just wasn't needed right and sometimes it's not simplicity is the name of the game you know and well that was the the first time i saw them play which yeah. you weren't with them yeah and i saw the the fiddle players in the back yeah and i was kind of thinking man i can see why you're doing your own thing sure. i mean because i've seen you play since then yeah and i'm like you know you got so much talent to kind of not be able to showcase all that you said you could do i, sure. I was like i can see why yeah he got the, uh, this little experience or even you know the touring aspect of it and yeah. now having a family and stuff you have a lot more flexibility and freedom to kind of create your own schedule too. yeah dictate my own life and that's you know i think that's really the dream for most of us in the uh music industry is to be able to lay down what it is that you want right to do in pursuit for some people that's a, a lifetime road gig for some people yeah. that's staying at home and doing sessions all day long and for me I find it's a combination of both it's different outlets for creativity you know it's kind of like in I mean I think about in real estate started out in a team setting yeah and branched out a couple years after that um, benchmark realty is who I'm with now and they're all about total freedom yep. and they have great support but you can create your own brand and so yeah, yeah. that's basically what I'm doing now you know first three years great and now I'm like alright I, I need something different now I want to know now I want to create who I want to be about you know and so that's kind of why I'm doing all this yeah. you know is, is to have um, you know real estate content use my networking platform to get out um, but to be Use my creativity, yeah, you know, absolutely, um, which is kind of fun. So, what are some of the, uh, I guess, growing up, what were some musicians that you admired that um, gave you inspiration for what you do? Um, That's a great question. So, uh, it's, I think one of the beautiful things about about music is that, well, I don't think I know that one of the beautiful things about music is that you can never stop learning music is so deep i mean when you've listened to every beatles and stone stones record out there you think you've got it figured out well they're just two bands in the scope of a world of musical history that goes back thousands of years musicians big me i mean I, my mind just starts racing when i think i did this cool tour in 2011 i went on this 
trip to China, the Silk Road tour with Abigail Washburn, Bela Fleck's wife, and, and some other musicians, incredible players. I went from Beijing up to Inner Mongolia and then all the way out west near Kyrgyzstan and spent weeks traveling and visiting these cities and collaborating with local musicians that were were just local musicians as you'd find here in Nashville and then celebrity musicians that you would never hear about here in the States because their music how would you discover it? How would you find it? Right. And there was so much to learn, so much to know. It really it really shook me in a good way because as cocky as I felt on my instrument, I'm I'm such a great player, I'm doing such great things, it was humbling in that God I'll never be able to master this thing because once I feel like I've got it, knowledge and information about a genre there's Mm -hmm. a thousand more to fall into and so for me as a player the the inspirations when i was a kid were maybe strictly fiddle players but as i've aged and lived life and been around the planet and seen and experienced things um my inspirations it's like the opposite effect of it's like an explosion like a volcano blasting off Mm -hmm. it's like i i take from so many different outlets, mm-hmm. so many different genres and players that, I mean, I can limit, you know, I can give you a list of people that uh, have been inspirations to me, but I keep, man, I, I've been on, I've been on a big hip hop kick lately and been listening to hip hop records, man, Tupac to Chance the Rapper and Kendrick Lamar and Jay-Z and everybody so, between yeah. men and it's all because of the beats and the rhythm and then actually taking time to listen to the lyrical content and like wow they're actually saying some big big things here and it's like man I, those were artists that I didn't get into when I was younger because I was so focused on maybe classical violin or jazz violin right. or or shore music from Brazil or whatever it is that I neglected that genre those artists and now now that's kind of been what I've been into lately I found uh the fly, I think it's called Fly on XM, mm. and it's '90s to 2000 hip hop and R&B. So mm. actually, on the way over here, I had that going. You had it going. You're um, blasting it, and then the alt- old school alternative. Um, yeah, yeah I, and I've realized that um, I listen to all. I kind of listened to a little bit of everything when I grew up, and even though sometimes you listen to the lyrics, it's like, yeah, maybe you know, I could find something else. But I've always had a love for the music. Yeah. You know, and that's why I like listening to you play the fiddle and hearing your hearing the band chess boxer. Yeah, um, man, the cool oh, vibe sound y'all had like that was that's pretty crazy. So, what are you doing with that? That project is kind of it kind of ran its course. We okay. did our, we did our thing and we. Um, we recorded a really special album with uh, with Charlie Peacock. I, I doubt it will see the light of day, unfortunately. But as such is the way so many great records get canned and never mm-hmm. make it out. But um, it was a great exercise for the three of us to uh, realize these these melodies, these parts, this sort of musical creativity that had been stuck inside our heads, and kind of express it through our instruments and collaborate to write these complex pieces. And um, though the instrumentation, bass, banjo, and fiddle would be perceived as a bluegrass outlet the music was very very far from that and through composed more leanings towards classical music or outside genres those instruments just happen to be how we expressed the melodies Mm -hmm. um but yeah yeah that was a i'm very very proud of the project and very thankful for the opportunities that came from it and man it's like everything else it's just chapters and seasons of life you go on to the next thing and and um that's you know I, I look back fondly on that and who I mean I, I'm sure at some point we'll get to back and 
do a little something. Yeah, we've already got a couple little things anyway off the books, and, and it's been a hoot. And those guys are just such ridiculous musicians, man. Royal Masad on bass and Matt mm-hmm. on banjo, just singular in their abilities. So right. good. Yeah. So um, switch gears a little bit to switch gears a little bit to uh, real estate. Um, so for other musicians yep. that are moving to Nashville, mm-hmm. uh, young musicians, or even you know. Just in general, what advice would you give to them trying to to make a name for themselves here? That's a great question. How do you how do you develop a reputation and a name for yourself in Music City? Obviously, this is such a vast and deep pool of musicians. Um, Nashville, of course, the stereotype is uh, country music. You know, it's got the name Music City USA, but but it's um, you know as the, as the years and decades have gone by, the the driving industry country music has shifted gears, and now the town is is very inclusive to genres and players well beyond country music. I mean, you've got rock great Stan Arbach and Jack White here, and and fusion players and acoustic players and writers of all genres. I mean, folks coming from LA and New York and London to collaborate and write and create music here in town. And, and, um, I think it's a great testament to the accessibility of Nashville. And I think as a Mm -hmm. player in this era, this sort of golden period, Renaissance period of Nashville, um, I think more than ever, it's critical that you, you develop, um, sort of chameleon a chameleon ability to blend in to genres first and foremost you want to be the best player that you can be um and that's a relative term i mean what is the best what's how do you how do you rate that because some of the best players on the planet aren't the most virtuosic they play very simple lines but it's how they play those lines and where they place those parts that is the genius behind their playing um it's having utter confidence in what you do not so that it's cocky but so that when you find yourself in a situation where you're playing and collaborating you have confidence in Mm -hmm. what you're doing that what you're contributing what you've been hired to do is what you do and that's what you need to deliver um and i think too man what i have realized about this town is that you can be the best player in the world but if you're not accessible as a hang as a bud as a friend if you can't get on stage and have a laugh and work as a team player and listen with big ears and, you know, communicate with big ideas through your instrument. Um, you're not going to get hired again. And there's some pride value and it's not just about the music. It's about the person and the relationship. Oh and the, man. You know, they're, they're, character type that's stuff. it. I, I know some of the most amazingly technical musicians that live here in town. Uh, and I, I love them to death, but I wouldn't necessarily, hire them for a big session or take them out on tour uh, because of the quirks of their personality or or whatever it, whatever it might be as a personal preference to me. Um, and I know it's the same for, for a lot of folks. They, they just want to have that good vibe, that good hang and deep musicianship uh, as well as um, good laughs, a, a good time, just, just chilling because that's, I mean, it's music at the end of the day. It's music. It's though you might be playing for 20 people or 200,000 people, it's still music no matter how you skin the cat. And I think that the, um, the advice that I would give to anybody is make yourself available, make yourself accessible. Uh, if, 
If you recognize that you're a bit of an introverted person, learn how to put on an extroverted hat when you have to, and then go home and uh, chill out and hide from people. I have to do this. You know, I get, I get people out at times and we right. all do. And so it's, it's learning how to, um, get in that mindset when you need to when you need to be there and I'll tell you a pet peeve for me and it's been developed uh, it's developed over time because (laughs) uh, I've I've learned the hard way but um, (laughs) when you're when you're early someplace you're on time when you're on time you're late and when you're late you're fired and I've I've learned that you know, the, the serious pros, as chill and as cool as they might be, if I show up a couple minutes late to a session, even because of traffic, they're like, hey, man, it's, you know, we got a 930 session. There's going to be traffic. You should have left early. Bit of a scolding. It's like, hey, you know, you're right. I need to be early. My fingers need to be warmed up. My instrument needs to be tuned. And if downbeat is at 10 a.m., I need it. I need to be right. on it. You right. know, right. punctuality is a thing. I mean, all the, you know, this is just stuff no, that your mom would tell though. you, <laughs> but it's, it really is true. And, you know, you're Nashville, um, again, as I said, it's such an accessible place, but, uh, the big dogs are here, you right, know, and, right. and you, you want to, you want to operate at that level, even if you're not doing those big A list sessions in your, in your spirit, in your mind, in your contributions, everything you do, you want to do at the highest possible level that ensures job security, as well as just a reputation for you as a player, as a creator, collaborator you you want to broadcast the finest product that you can you know Mm -hmm. and it takes time everybody has to learn it their own way god knows i've had to learn it and be told ways that i need to improve and we'll constantly have to be reminded of those things you know that's right right we're human that's awesome um good stuff man i think you could like just talk about music for hours (laughs) you're you're so well spoken about it all you know it's pretty well you know that's very kind i think um, again, it's one of these scenarios where I'm passionate about it and I thought a lot about it. Schooling. Um, yeah. Did you go to college? No. So I had scholarships uh, to study music. Um, I was planning on going to, um, to Baylor University in Waco. Um, when I graduated high school in 2002, I had a really beautiful scholarship opportunity down there. And I, I had some just some personal things I needed to sort out in my own mind. And, and um, so the summer after I graduated high school, I moved to my dad's house in Dallas and kind of came to the realization that I just needed to take a year off. And this is a very common thing, particularly in Europe. They'll have a gap year, you know, where you've been you've been attending school since you were five mm-hmm. you need a bit of a break right, and kind of right. go see the world kind of have a breather and then settle into the thing you know we're in america it's like get done with high school right into college and people are losing their minds you know it's like you get your car keys when you're 15 16 you can't drink until you're 21 so there's five years of just chaos that happens and once you leave the house and you're in college on your own trying to figure out the scene you know People wind up making dumb choices and not all the time, but obviously that's what we think of as college is right. a four year party time. But for me, I needed, I needed a year off to sort out what it really was that I wanted to do, whether it was music or something else. And in that year, um, everything really started to take off in my career. I was doing a lot of work in the Dallas fourth area as far as sessions go and guesting with people. And in the fall of 2002, that's when Cadillac sky started. Mm. And by the, 
next spring by April, May of 2003, we had our first record in the books. We were playing a bunch of shows, playing festivals, starting to make a bit of money and not a lot, but enough to, you know, satisfy the spending needs of an 18 year old. (laughs) And, um, so I stuck with it and a year after that I was touring, uh, actually I was still living in Texas, but I was driving every week to Nashville and touring with, um, country artist, Josh Turner. He was just had found success with his first big single long black train. And, and, um, so really the opportunities opened up, everything started to go and I just stuck with it. Um, that to say my, my dad was very adamant that I, um, pursue an education. And so, uh, he is is very much a, um, a very well-read individual and studies incessantly about all manner of things, uh, which was inspiring to me. So I I've always have a book lying around. I'm always reading and learning stuff. And to be honest, the travels that I've had around the planet, I've been to about 40 countries now and every state except for Hawaii. I need to get there and learn how to surf. Yeah, but, Sarah would probably like that. Yeah, oh, she she needs to go. Um, that's her last state as well, too. Oh, really? Wow. But um, How long have you been married? We have been married. It'll be 13 years in okay. September. So maybe your 13th, you go there maybe, for a week. Absolutely. Hey, she better not listen to this. Or she- <laughs> but those those world travels and the experiences around the planet um, truly have been the best education, a, a better education than I would have right. ever developed at going Just to experience. Yeah, life, experience. And, and two, you know, I don't. Um, I have a lot of friends that have gone to conservatory and have studied music and have their degrees and graduate degrees in, in music. And, and, uh, that's all cool. But when you miss out on life skills, street smarts, opportunities to learn how to communicate and develop knowledge because of the experiences that you've had your own testimony in life, whether that's a spiritual thing or whether that's uh, a secular, just life. This is my, (laughs) what I've experienced in my life. Mm -hmm. So I can talk about it because I've done it firsthand. You don't get that sitting in a classroom, right? You develop other knowledge sitting in a classroom. But again, if you're frittering it away by partying and not paying attention, and this is not speaking ill against a higher education because I support it and I love teaching workshops at colleges and getting deep with with students who are really learning. Which is probably more, you're speaking to ones that go there for just the partying mindset. Oh. You know, like I look at, you know, you know, my mindset is I'm going to college. What's yeah. college? Where did you go? I ended up. UCA for three years and transferred cool. to Fayetteville uh, University of cool. Arkansas and graduated yeah. there. Uh, business degree, five and a half years, I think. Yeah. You know, Natalie finished in four. Yeah. But it was because I wasn't serious. I should have taken off a year, you know, and I yeah. worked all the time. Um, and luckily at that time, you know, I didn't come out of out of debt out of college with too much debt. Yeah. yeah. But man, I'm, I'm hearing some stories now of some of the debt people are going and what they're doing with the degree they'll never get it paid off oh man that's kind of that's kind of the scary thing so i love the idea of you know i think about when you know bryce hill at at, i'll talk to him now and he's like i'm not going to college i'm gonna get real estate and you know i love what i do yeah and always regretted not being serious you know um, from the point I got out of college to, you know, when I got in real estate. Yeah. And so I even think with that, it's like, you know, just like you said, I don't have the mindset that, man, you got to go to college because I actually, although I learned a lot in some of the jobs that I'm able to apply towards real estate um, and the people I met. So it's kind of like that whole experiencing life aspect. Yeah. Um, but I think now I'm like, man, I, I would have loved to get in real estate when I got, when I 
graduated school, you know? Oh, um, man. You well, know. and you found this passion, you know, the thing yeah. for me, I, I don't think as people we're meant to do one thing in our lifetime. Yeah. We're dynamic creatures. We, we absorb and process and the emotions and, and things that we take from um, the experiences that we've had really shape us. And they continue to shape us as we go through the journey of our lifetime. And, and for me, I personally, I, I know music won't be the thing that I do forever. I will always play music, but as far as it being my vocation, right. I don't necessarily believe that I will do that in my thinking at this point in time that might change in a couple of years and i'm sure for you too you know what you have experienced and what you have worked in your lifetime uh you know it it changes it takes shape even even in real estate i've talked with with realtors that started out with residential you know private real estate and they've gone commercial because they find it more satisfying Mm -hmm. or land real estate whatever and it just it changes even on a small level micro or on a macro level well and i think too just like you know thinking about the book aspect yeah you know i've read more books in the last um two years than i ever thought about reading sure and even though sometimes i don't finish them all but i get some nuggets that just keep the brain growing you know oh, yeah and, and so i think that's you know that's i think that I've, I've learned much more in reading some of these books and that's why i'm doing this now yeah is because that it's just you can't stop you know, when you're continually educating yourself, yes, you want to better yourself. You want to do something different. Absolutely, you know? um, and, which and is exciting. And there's a difference too, and I'm I'm sure you uh, have experienced this and, and and agree with this. But information, to me, I believe that information isn't necessarily knowledge. Correct. I, I think that in this age that we live, we have these little devices that are that open up the world in the palm right. of your hands, and people take the information that they want to sort of suit their needs and their desires. Um, and they're not, it doesn't really stick in a deep right. way. Right. When you go out and you, and you experience something on a personal level mm-hmm. and firsthand that information that becomes knowledge because it soaks into your, the depths of your core and your existence mm-hmm. in your mind. And that's, um, I think it's, it's, as we get, at least I found it, I'm going to be 33 in a month. And I, as I get older, I just find that my desire to learn, my desire to process and absorb everything just has increased tenfold. Yeah. When I was a kid, I just wanted to just run wild and be a kid. Right. But it has, that has changed because right. of age and time. And, and now, because we have these devices, we have this accessibility to so much. It's, man, it's, it can be, I, I found that it to be very addicting, the yes. learning process. And like, well, and I think that's the, the balance. You know, I was all paying attention to the politics and stuff, like oh, yeah. reading. Now, honestly, I don't know. It's probably been a month. Well, actually, no, it's probably been a couple of months because once I got into this, I got out of that. Yeah, sure. So I was like, you know, who I don't need to know what's going on up there every day. Um, and not that I let it affect me as much, but being in real estate, mm-hmm. you know, being in any kind of sales driven, uh, you know, career, like the economy, you know, can oh, be a yeah. negative thing. Sure. Um, and so I'm just like, you know what? My time suited much better doing other stuff. Or, and I think too, you can sit and read books. Sure. all the time as well and it's you gotta get to a point of applying what you're learning or else That's it's it. like information overload like I have a bunch of coaching CDs and I was like I don't need any more of that stuff like I got enough information and knowledge up here you have to go do it now I gotta do it and so man it's like foreign language I took four years of German when I was in high school because my grandmother spoke German and 
it was pretty impractical in Texas. I should learn Spanish, <laughs> but um, I took four years of German and I never applied it. Although right. I've been to Germany a bunch of times now over the years, it didn't stick because I never used it right. after I graduated right. high school and I lost it. And there are words that I recognize and, you know, some basic numbers and colors and food items and all that, but nothing that's really of any depth or meaning and that therein is a great example of, man, I got a lot of information, didn't process it, didn't stick. So what knowledge is there? For and me? there's probably, I'm even thinking that there's probably a fear barrier because I think there's a, a prideful aspect of, you know, so much, mm. you know, oh, and then yeah. it's like, all right. Uh, now let's just get out like with doing this, you know, as I was rehabbing and, and just the thought process, it was like, there was, there was fear that would creep in and going, man, am I just wasting my time? What am I doing? You know, but, um, I was, I was passionate and I was like, man, this is, yeah, this is going to be, this is, I got the big picture, you know, and yeah. kept moving forward. So when there's no shame in admitting that you don't know something, and yeah, I, yeah. I've had to learn that the hard, the hardest way possible. And I mean, I've done that once yeah. that I didn't know something. I admitted it once. So. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I kind of know you can tell the difference between yeah. the salt or the pepper shaker. <laughs> um, yeah. So to switch gears to, um, the, uh, so real estate, yes. um, as I recall, helping you and your family. Oh, absolutely. Um, actually, you called in. It was a Zillow lead, surprisingly. Yes. And then I got in front of you. Yep. Dropped a couple of music names once I saw your handlebar mustache. <laughs> and I was like, I think he's probably a musician. That was and that you know, house on the west side of town, yeah, right? You remember we drove by and there was like a pig in the... Yeah, the that was, it was very way unique. It was yeah, really it was. cool. But it was way out there on that ridge. And I think Sarah... That was a really cool spot, but Sarah, yeah. I remember Sarah's comment on the way back is, if we ever get stuck in an ice storm, this place is going to be the worst. Right. We're going to be stuck. Right, right. <laughs> How about Ross Holmes? I'll tell you what, it's pretty awesome to sit in the Rambler and be right across from him just rocking that fiddle. Um, it's a pretty cool experience. Now we're going to switch gears. I'm going to introduce Matt Baumgartner, and he will tell us all about home inspections. Sitting here with uh, Matt Baumgartner, um, focusing a little bit more on uh, what to do, some tips to get your house ready to sell. Um, we are in Rivergate area, uh, north of Nashville, around Madison, Tennessee. So I called Matt on his way to a couple home inspections. Said, "Hey man, I'm ready to go do another one." Yeah, yeah. I was like, "I'll meet you at the mall in front of Macy's." So <laughs> here we are. We got a little rain coming in, um, and the wind's blowing too. So we're kind of rocking it a little bit in here. A little, little bit. <laughs> I feel safe. It's good. <laughs> All right. So that's kind of kind of what we're uh, uh, wanting to pick your brain about. Um, obviously, you do a lot of home inspections. Yeah. Um, yeah, Middle Tennessee area, um, and you were asking me, hey, maybe we could discuss some of the things that homeowners could do to get their house ready to go onto the market. So, best way to probably do it is just a list, you know, maybe like the top 10 things that we find. Um, we find them on a, on a lot of home inspections. So, I would say uh, some of those things would be water pressure. We seem to be running into that a lot lately where the water pressure gets too high. So, what we're looking for is 40 to 80 PSI. If it gets above that, you're going to start to notice drips or drops at sinks. Uh, shower valves, um, and if it gets much higher than that, then you might see a bursted pipe or a, you know an actual pretty bad leak. Mm-hmm. Uh, most houses actually have a pressure regulating valve, so it can just be adjusted down. Um, 
in worst case, if you don't have a pressure regulating valve, a new valve is probably a hundred bucks. But that is something that if I was getting a house, that'd definitely be a priority for me. Um, but be top of the list if it had really, really high water pressure. And we see it a lot. For some reason, we do see it a lot here in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say another thing that we run into quite a bit would be uh, exterior door jams. You, you know this. Um, you see it plenty. Right. Um, maybe rot in the bottom six inches. Water just seems to pull around the house. Technically, it's supposed to be up off the ground six inches, but it never is. Um, and so water just kind of pulls around the bottom of the door frame. Right. And you'll see some wood rot right there at the bottom. Um uh, don't have to replace the whole frame. The best way to fix that is just to cut out the little strip of the affected wood and then put in uh, a new piece of wood. I prefer Bondo over wood putty to fill it in. It cures a little bit harder. It's still sandable and painful, uh, but that's the way that I would fix that, and that's something that we run into quite a bit. All right. Um, and then just regular upkeep stuff. We see a lot of clog gutters. We see um, a whole handful of things with... Uh, <laughs> fairly minor electrical issues where you have like a loose plug or a loose switch. So it doesn't seem like a whole lot, something that can be tightened very easily. Um, but if it moves around uh, quite a bit, you could have some arc problems where it is a fire hazard. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely something that's going to be uh, top of my list as well. Any kind of safety concern to the occupants of the house or to the actual structure itself, um, that kind of takes priority for me whenever I'm writing a report. Which obviously the electrical stuff is... You probably won't catch that until a home inspection, because yeah. by the normal eye, you're not going to notice. Correct. We're going around stuff. and we're we're grabbing a hold of stuff pretty good. And if something is maybe just a drip, and we can get it to go ahead and leak a little bit, but that's something that we would catch. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A, a good example is uh, another thing that we run into a lot: um, a loose commode where it attaches to the floor. I see that a whole lot. Yeah, um, and the way that it's sealed, it's got two bolts on either side. It sits on a closet flange with a wax ring, mm-hmm. right? Um, and normal occupants of the house may not notice it as much. It might feel like a slight rock, but we come in there and give it a pretty good turn. Um, and if it turns and pivots, you know, it's something that you might not catch. Not most people are shaking their commode whenever they go into their restroom. So, um, and it's an easy fix, just tightening down the bolts in most cases on either side of the, the commode. And it doesn't get not, tightened. Not too tight. I think I'm that's, broke. I'm, yeah, that's that's why we see it a lot is because right. it, you're tightening down on porcelain and it's fragile, so it can break. Well, my, um, my tool didn't break, but when I replaced ours, um, now it rocks because <laughs> the flange, I guess, yeah, I tightened yeah. it too, too tight and popped both of them. So Quick fix for that is just to slot a nickel or a quarter underneath oh, it. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like a shim like you would use in a door. Um, nothing wrong with that. Works just fine to yeah. just make sure it's hidden underneath the commodes. You don't have a quarter sticking out. But. And then another one that I've seen a lot is the caulk around the yeah. bathtub. Yeah, caulk is, is something that's... It's a maintenance item anyway, so it's not right. going to last forever. I mean, nothing lasts forever, but that's something that is designed to fail over time, you know. Right. So something that needs to be maintained. Um, and we do run into quite a bit of that. So mm-hmm. caulking the bathroom's big. Make sure it's at the the seams on the floor, right where your shower's at. Um, it's on the seams on the walls. And then also exterior caulk, anywhere where there's um, a trim junction or anywhere where there is a wall penetration coming through. So like a, a hose bib or something mm-hmm. like that. And we see a lot of those drips. We get a lot of drips and drops on... A faucet that's, you know, a bathroom faucet or a kitchen faucet might drip a little bit. Oftentimes that's, you know, a $5 fix for some mm-hmm. seats and springs or, you know, some rubber seals inside the, the right. fixture. So, Which a lot of that stuff, too, is uh, I think we don't focus or pay attention to those details until we're getting ready to sell. But, like, I think about um, the insulation 
on your exterior HVAC. Right, you know, it's right. something that's easy to replace, and I and it, it would be more cost effective as far as our efficient energy efficient to have that done right yeah, yeah, now. You, you lose waiting. you lose so much um, energy efficiency just missing it. And what he's what he's referring to is the the line set that runs on a split system, split AC system, where half of it, the condenser's outside, and right. the other half is on the inside, uh, the evaporator unit, um, like an attic or, or a closet. And then it has a copper line set, two copper lines that run in between the two. The suction line, the bigger of the two lines, <coughs> needs to have insulation on it because it's copper and it loses. So it, it transfers heat very well. That's why we use the copper. Um, and if it's the main place that we see it is deteriorated is out in the sun. Right. Um, on the exterior of the home. So it's usually only about a four foot piece and insulation is not expensive, but that's something that you can go ahead and hit off at the pass. And it's going to save you some money if you do it, you know, and while um, you're while you're out there, extend the uh, drain, extend lines, the drain right? lines. We run into that a lot, too. So condensate lines, you don't want them dumping right next to the foundation yeah. um, or, or directly on the pad. Sometimes we see that with a package unit where it dumps right on the pad and then you have uh, condensate water, which is, is quite a bit mm-hmm. um, just resting up against the actual unit. And so it's going to have. Uh, rust and premature failure of the actual equipment. So, gotcha. um, yeah, just extend it out. You're talking about a couple bucks and, you know, schedule 40 PVC pipe mm-hmm. um, just to get it away from the perimeter, get it away from the unit. Right. You know. So what have you found, um, you know, the advantage of doing a pre-home ins- pre-listing, pre-listing home inspection? inspection? Yeah. The, the ben- yeah, the benefit for that is you're not going to get blindsided by anything. So you're not going to, you know, get under contract and then, um, when the inspection comes back, there's a whole bunch of things you didn't see coming. Um, but another good benefit is if somebody comes out and has an inspection, a buyer's inspection, they're the legal owner of that property. But if you did it uh, with a house that you're listing, you can say, hey, they found these 10 things and we repaired them all. And you can give that inspection report to every single buyer that's coming to look at the house, um, potential buyer that's coming to look at the house. Right. And there's nothing hidden under the rug. They feel pretty confident. You know, the certified inspector has found these things and they can verify that they've been fixed. So that's, that's the biggest advantage is that you don't, the biggest two advantages. You don't have any, um, surprises, surprises. And then, um, you're you're able to provide that to anybody that's looking at how you can lay it out, you know, on the counter, even a summary sheet or something like that. Well, and and my thought too, is you, you have some of those things like we just talked about that, are very minor, but when you have several of those, buyers are sometimes trying to find, you know, reasons to pick the house apart. And uh, if you can be proactive and not have, and you have that list very small, um, it's going to set up, you know, the inspection or, you know, repair resolution period and stuff a lot easier to deal with. And yeah, it yeah. shows that you're taking, you know, better care of your house. Yeah, well. well, and that's, that's another thing. If uh, we go into a home, we can tell if it's been well maintained. So, you know, it's better to have that on, on the front end and be right. able to show that. So, um, yeah. so I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Cool. Any but, other tips? Um, just properly maintain your home. A big one would be, even if you're not getting ready to sell, just make sure that you have somebody come out and service the HVAC equipment, just like we were talking about, something simple like a condensate line or uh, insulation on your line set. Um, AC equipment does a really great job, mm-hmm. uh, but it is finicky equipment. There could be a whole handful of small things that can cause it to um, be a big problem, have some hard wear and tear on the equipment, and that's one of the more expensive things that you're going you're gonna to find. Um, in, a, in a home inspection or in a home transaction. Right. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, actually, I looked at Natalie's uh, minivan tires in the front. I just noticed 
are wearing uneven and it's probably because I've neglected rotating and balance like yeah. I should. Yeah. And so now I could have gotten probably maybe 10 or 15 more thousand miles out of the tires, but I'm probably going to buy a new ones sooner or later. Yeah. So kind of the same thing with a lot of the maintenance issues. If you put it off, next thing you know, and now instead of doing a caulk around the around the shower, now you got to replace the sheetrock, which again, uh, I need to do on mine. I think that's know? true with a lot of stuff. Right. Um, you know, a, a good example, I had a buddy of mine that was having problems with his AC unit. I say he was having problems. It was actually flooding out. He had it in the closet, split system with the evaporator in the, in the closet. It was flooding out into his kitchen. That's where the closet was at. And he said, oh, I'm going to have to get a new unit. Right. Um, all it was is that the, the coils were dirty. He just hadn't cleaned the coils and it was very prolonged maintenance. Uh, they had done clean the coils off problem solved somebody was quoting him you know 55 6500 for new equipment didn't have to do it so right um they're they're finicky units you know that that need to be maintained so having it maintained twice a year is going to help you in the long run right you know so cool that's that's definitely you know definitely something that i would recommend do you do a lot of uh pre-listing inspections we do we do um Mainly, you know, the, the people that are uh, that are looking to get into something are more the ones that are calling on us. But um, somebody that's having a pre-listing inspection is uh, more proactive. And I think it's harder to find that, you know, somebody right. that's more proactive, that sort of thing. Yeah, because so. a lot of times it's like, oh, hey, we're going to list our house, you know, like this week. So to have the time to <laughs> even do it and then uh, repair all the items is a little tough. So cool. Yeah. So uh, any any tips, advice uh, with the real estate market as as great as it is in Nashville, buyers moving to Nashville or selling any any tips? Because um, obviously you're a homeowner. Right. Um, any tips you'd pass along? Uh, I would say no. You know, maybe from from my standpoint and, and kind of what I'm able to see doing what I do. Um, Know what you're looking for. A lot of people will go into it thinking that they're not going to be doing a bunch of repairs or that the house is going to be just absolutely turnkey. So just be realistic and, and know um, how, how much you're capable of doing yourself and um, how much you're wanting to spend on any of the repairs. I don't want it to be something that causes somebody to have to um, walk away from a home because there was more under the surface after right. they got the inspection. Don't run into it too often, but just you know, be prepared for something like that. Uh, the, the big three financially for me from the home inspection side would be any kind of structural issue. Um, HVAC equipment can get kind of expensive and then a roof. Those are the big three for me that can have a cost that maybe you're not expecting. Right. You know, whenever you get into it. So, right. Um, and in most in- home inspectors, you look at it with your eyes and your expertise. And then if it kind of raises a flag, then you're going to refer them to see a professional roof or a professional yeah. home inspe- or a HVAC. We, um, we, yeah, we can tell somebody, hey, we saw, you know, the, the temp drop on this equipment's not exactly where it needs to be or that we feel that it's low on refrigerant, um, that the line set's icing up, uh, something like that. And having an HVAC guy come out, they can maybe put a warranty to it. Say, so, hey, we'll go ahead and give you two or three years expected out of this equipment um, and go ahead and get you on a maintenance plan to make sure that you get as much life out of it as you can. Um, you could get a roofer to give you a certified, you know, five-year letter, that mm-hmm. kind of thing on, on the roof. So, um, yeah, we, we all work together. You know, we all work together. So when a uh, uh, homeowner's looking for an inspector or a buyer, what's a couple of things you would you would 
you know, recommend that they focus on to do, uh, do a little research. Uh, aside from, you know, trusting their, their realtor. I would um, say look for somebody that's certified, either ASHI certified or even better, internationally certified. Um, I'm a member of internationally, uh, have, have been for a very long time. Um, International Association of Certified Home Inspectors. Okay. It holds us to a higher standard than what the state of Tennessee does. So that's a, a big thing to look for. Um, make sure that your inspector is uh, going to be going on the roof, in the crawl space. Um, a lot of them may try to take a shortcut there because um, something that may not be required by the state of Tennessee, but is required by you know some of these associations. Might so, be scared of spiders. <laughs> might be scared of spiders, and we got plenty of them in Tennessee. Spiders and snakes. And those are the two that we see quite a bit in the crawl space. The only thing that and doesn't bother me too bad, the only thing I'm worried about is anything with BDIs, a raccoon right. or a possum or something like that. Um, those are the ones I don't want to get stuck with. But You got any funny uh, home inspection stories cool. in the crawl space or anything that come to mind? Uh, yeah, yes and no. Um, I went into a house that was in Lebanon, and it had an old stone foundation. Um, I went... Uh, went underneath and I think I'd come out and needed to get something off the truck and it was going back in. And I'd been down there for a pretty good bit and started working, working my way around the perimeter, but hadn't come to one exterior wall that backed up to a pretty good patch of woods. Whenever I went back in, I saw a little snake skin. Whenever I came through, I said, ah, no big deal. Seen it all before. Whenever I shone my light on that wall that I hadn't made it to yet, there was probably no kidding. 15 snake skins all along the wall. Oh my so gosh. It was like I was in a snake and I didn't want to stay in there very long. So we, we got it knocked out and got, got out of there. But that was um, not something you want to see. All right. I'm, I'm glad that I saw it toward the ends of, of inspecting the crawl space instead of at the beginning because I might not want to stay in there, you know. And I think I probably <laughs> told you this story in our previous house. I noticed um, some kind of white stuff in the attic and then probably a couple weeks later I see probably about a three foot long snake skin Ooh. in the attic yeah, yeah. and I start I, like at the moment I'm like no there, no, there's no way because it's like how in the heck did a snake get, get, up, get here? up there so I was hesitant to, to tell Natalie because uh, I figured that we would be moving like next week um, and she, I was a little scared because I had to lo- logically go. There's no way the snake can get in the house, you know. But it was a little freaky. I've, I've seen. Um, and then about three months, two snakes in an attic. Yeah, just you, you actually you see saw, a lot. You see a lot. Yeah, in the so I guess space. they just get up through the rafters, and you know, that's the only way they, they can get up there, right? They, they bounce they can, between the. Hey, I'm not an expert. But they can go up a tree. They can go up right. a tree. So um, they can get up there. A lot of times, they might be dropping down from a tree onto the roof and then finding their way into the attic. So yeah. we see that sometimes too. Yeah, and then uh, I think it was probably that summer, about a couple months later, and I saw basically that same length skin in the crawl space. Yeah. Um, and I was actually getting stuff out of there. That kind of freaked me out. Luckily, I, my neighbor had killed a couple snakes that were about that size. So I thought, we're good, but it was a little, you know, a little I freaky. killed three last year. Actually, do y'all do – no, that's more termite people that deal with the uh, – um, that do – Outside of termites as well, other yeah, yeah pest removal, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, we see it though. We, I saw uh, a lot this year for some reason. Um, a bird nest in the attic, and whenever I say bird nest, um, I'm talking you know two and three foot tall nests where they stacked up wow. straw and all kinds of grass clippings, that sort of thing. Doorbells and everything in there. Huh? <laughs> yeah, right. they get some some pretty large nests that. That you wouldn't think that you would see in an in an attic, you know, right. from handful of birds, two or three birds. Right. So some of those um, make your race question, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's a good reason. I saw um, some of the dryer events, some of the extra events uh-huh. are tour and birds will get in there and build nests, which is really something to watch out because that's blocking your Yeah, your and that could, and that could turn to a fire hazard. You want all yeah. that exhaust to come out. Um, they're, they're built in with screens or something that will close. Right. Um, and we do see that quite a bit, too. Um, maybe even on chimneys. Some of the older chimneys um, don't have a rain cap or a spark cap, and birds can come directly down into the chimney. So... Um, having a spark screen or a rain cap on there to, to help keep them out or on your, your vents, your exhaust vents, like you're talking about. Right. Um, get it, get a bird in there. You know, it could, like I said, it could become a, a fire hazard for sure. Um, Fried bird. Yeah. It gets well, hot. Um, that's some uh, good tips for home buyers and sellers. And, uh, Appreciate your time hanging out yeah, with me in absolutely. the parking lot. Thank <laughs> Thanks for having me over, sir. Uh, having you in. Having so, you in. Um, where can you be reached? Uh, you can reach me directly. Um, the name of my company is Advantage Property Inspection API. And you can reach me at 615-586-7698. Uh, website is advantagepropertyinspection.net. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And then you hand out papers on the weekends, right? The news, <laughs> little newspapers. Yeah, absolutely. You can see me at the corner of handing out the local paper. <laughs> the contributor. Don't get me going. Don't get me going. This is gin in this cup. All right. Uh, I was starting to say something else. Hold on. All right. Um, again, thanks, Matt. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, absolutely. Love to come back. All right, see you. Thank you. That was some great advice Matt gave us. I know uh, I probably walked away with uh, with the list of some items to do for my house. Um, obviously, that was good advice, regardless if you're selling your house or not, even from a safety perspective and a cost um, efficiency standpoint. Um, you can apply some of those tips and uh, you'll be a happy homeowner. Now let's uh, pick up where we left off with Ross Holmes, and uh, then he'll finish it out playing another song on the fiddle. Okay, so speaking about real estate, um, I helped yeah. you guys buy your house. In a very big way, you yeah. helped us. And uh, what was cool is I think you were the first buyers that... I mean, you almost did a cartwheel in the house when you saw, I remember you were so excited about everything, oh, and, man. which is really fun, you know, to, to, because uh, there's so many times you do have to make some compromises, you know, um, with who knows a lot of different stuff. Sure. Um, but to see someone get so excited about a house, um, which my mindset flipped really quick because I knew it just hit the market. Crazy market. It didn't even hit the market. Remember it, what you got? Uh, I remember this so vividly. This was, this is a great story to me. I tell the story often. We had been looking for about nine months. We right. knew that our landlord in East Nashville was going to sell the house and that we were renting. Uh, and of course it was in a great spot, 16th and Eastland, like a block up from me some right. super hot zone but it was a small place like 1600 square feet on maybe a third of an acre mm-hmm. less than half an acre yeah and with two kids and one on the way at the time it's like we need space we need room we have developed a reputation uh, our family for people stopping in and staying with us musicians business people family friends randos we've kind of opened our doors to everybody and um that was very important to us. So 
in the process of realizing, okay, we need to either find another place to rent or really put down roots and buy. We spent months looking. We met with a bunch of different realtors at different places. They all just sucked. And then when we put in uh, the little Zillow request to meet out at that house west of town and you showed up, it was like, wow, this is He's super chill. He's easy to work with. He knows his stuff. Okay, well, you you be our realtor. We just need to find some places. And we you sent us houses for a couple months. Mm-hmm. We, I remember us looking, and you kind of. Ch- I think I remember you changing parameters. You're like, hey, I want to be here, here, and then you sent me another one in East Nashville, which was sitting on like a really small lot. And I'm like, all right, so where were you? Where are you at? You yeah, know, man, we were just hanging, trying to yeah, find the thing. And this place, it was a Sunday morning, and you called us. We were getting dressed to go to church and you're like I found this place it's going to hit the market on Monday but we can go see it but we need to go see it now and we're like okay that's funny I don't even remember that yeah oh man I remember it so well and I remember pulling up in this very driveway and going huh we haven't even seen inside because you we didn't even see pictures of the house you're like come check out this place so we came and dude I mean (laughs) what you're talking about doing cartwheels in the house Truly, man, I, I still feel that way when I come home. It's like, how? Well, and, and, and I'm just tickled so much. This house, that style, which was a, which I guess a musician, right? Yeah. Built it, in, engineer, right? Something like that. Um, but to have this acreage in this location, minutes from the airport, like, yeah, it's perfect. Oh, dude, an acre and a half, eight minutes from the airport. I mean, in rush hour traffic, we're 15 minutes from downtown on Murfreesboro Pike. This yeah. is the most convenient place we've lived. The neighborhood is it's quiet. The, you know, everybody's got big yards. The thing that kind of stinks is that there aren't sidewalks and people kind of speed up and down this road. But we've mm-hmm. been working with the city to get traffic calming implemented. And we're only um, literally a minute away from Seven Oaks Park and Whitsitt Park and both have bike trails and disc right. golf. And that's where we take the kids to go cycle and play. Yeah. Uh, and eventually we'll get these two driveways paved so that they can at least stay in the drive and then kind of cycle around but I mean the space and, and the, the house itself is so unique and the the beautiful thing for us is that um, it's allowed us the opportunity to really be diligent about having people come stay in fact today this very afternoon we have friends coming in literally they're in the sky right now flying in from, from Dublin nice. and it's like yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the the vibe that we've developed. And so to have the room, the space for it, the plans that we have to eventually build a guest house and a studio in the backyard. And and uh, one of the things that we're going to do on the second driveway is put in RV hookups because we have so oh, many people cool. that pull really? in with a camper trailer like yeah. this or even those sprinter vans that they convert, you know, that yeah. can, you can run water and need power, put in RV hookups so that. That's people cool. can hook up their rig in the driveway and but I mean I get so tickled when I when I walk in this house I mean every single day it's like this is it felt like home when we first walked in and it feels more like home than it ever has each day that passes but and it was it was kind of scary though because I knew how excited you got and I knew it was a multiple offer and I'm like man I gotta get this for them oh man we, we locked it down we did well you locked it down you I trusted mean, me and we got it, it got and it you know down. with I would imagine too that um being musicians, man, you can make a million bucks in a year, but if you write off everything on your taxes like every musician right, does, right, right. and your income doesn't reflect on your taxes what you actually put in the bank because of those write-offs, it's just a trick. It's yes. a pain, and I know that lenders, especially here in Nashville, get that, right. but there's protocol that they have to go by. So for us, I mean, the fact that, that you had such patience and the fact that uh, Hutchinson had such patience 
patience and it, it just the seller had so much patience it was one of those this is going to be a challenge but it's it's a it's meant to be right and though we may not live in nashville forever we'll always hang on to this place yeah i mean sarah and i talk about this all the time we want to invest in our property even if it in Increases even if we put in more than the value holds in this neighborhood because we want to hold on to it. Yeah, because it's the the convenience, right, the vibe, right. just the whole well, thing. It's cool too getting to a mindset like that yeah. to where you're not always thinking, um, okay, where's where, let's. Some people are so scared to invest in their house because that's yeah. all they're thinking about is. Well, will that pay me money back when I sell versus like just living and enjoying and making the changes that are going to make you happy now and not always concerned about that? Man, I truly believe that if, if you're in a, a home that you love and that, that you're taking care to improve in ways that suit the happiness of your life, that will be reflected in the appreciation of something. Right. Financially right, speaking. Right. People, if you decide to sell, people who walk into your house and notice that, man, they actually put a lot of care into making this room awesome. They just didn't go to Kirkland's and, and pick up greenery and cheap clocks to hang on the wall like this. They put love into this place. That's reflected, and people feel that. Um, like this, right? Yeah, All man, exactly like like your camper. Dude, this is an amazing – every time I kind of glance around, I notice – something different, something that I hadn't noticed before. And like just even the light fixtures up here, I didn't notice that those were records until Weston or Maddie pointed it out. I was like, whoa, that's what great little detail. Got to have a little music aspect to it, you know? Um, Yeah, man. Speaking of music. Yeah. Let's hear you play a little on the fiddle. Okay. Let me get my fiddle out here. I'll play you. uh, I think it's my dad's favorite fiddle tune, man. It's one I learned as a kid. It's called Sally Gooden. It's a, contest tune you'll hear this in fiddle contests but uh i never get tired of playing it man i really dig it
Another great song by Ross and a uh, an awesome interview. I could sit there and listen to him for hours. He's got a lot of insight and wisdom into the uh, music industry. Make sure to follow him on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And also, don't uh, forget to give Matt Baumgartner a call with any home inspection needs. Um, check out the show notes for uh, more details on Ross and Matt. Um, make sure to follow Ross Holmes on Instagram at rossholmesfiddle.com. Also, Facebook at uh, Ross Holmes Fiddle. And his website is www.rossholmes.net. Also, if you have any home inspection needs or would like to reach Matt Baumgartner, you can reach him at 615-586-7698 or advantagepropertyinspection at gmail.com. Make sure to join me next week as I sit down with songwriter Arliss Albright as uh, we get some great insights into songwriting and also uh, managing artists. I'm also will be sitting down with Isaiah Forty Lawns to give some advice and tips to spruce up your exterior of your home. Um, they do uh, a lot to deal with curb appeal. So again, um, another another item to focus on getting your home ready to list. If you are in the Nashville market and you're looking to purchase a home or sell a home, please give me a call at 615-973-7657. And if you are outside of the Nashville area and are looking for an agent, feel free to uh, give me a call or shoot me an email. I have a network of agents that I can uh, tap into and refer. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Music City Real Estate Show. If you enjoyed our program, please leave us an iTunes rating and review and subscribe for more music and valuable insights each week into Nashville's real estate landscape. Send your comments, questions, and ideas to podcast at buckwalterimpactgroup.com. And remember, don't give up until you find the property that's right for you. See you next time.